Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here, we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like personal growth in motherhood and relationships, awareness of the ego versus the soul, the voice of fear versus intuition, We discuss what it looks like to step into your power and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I'm obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and their babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is about women taking radical responsibility for their life, shedding victimhood for good. I am really passionate about this, especially just the concept of conscious parenting and respectful parenting, gentle parenting, all those words that you kind of see on Instagram. It is not about compliance. It is Respectful parenting is not about tactics to get your child to comply with you. That is not what it's about. I have had people tell me, oh yeah, I tried respectful parenting and it doesn't work. What does that even what does that even mean? You are saying respectful parenting doesn't work because you are trying to use it to control your child into compliance. So you don't understand just the the very basics of conscious parenting or respectful parenting which is having this unconditional compassion and understanding for your child and being the parent that you needed when you were a child because you were once a child. You know that fear intimidation tactics make you feel shame and then when you feel shame, you don't want to do better and you only try to do better because you are afraid of punishments. And so parenting in fear is what most of us were raised with is you better listen to me or else. And that is parenting in fear and something that I find very fascinating is in in the 2020 COVID era, everyone kind of against COVID was like, oh, let's living in fear. I don't believe in living in fear. I don't, I don't make choices in fear. But in parenthood, mainstream parenthood is operating from this fear mindset because it's saying to the child, you better do this or else. Or else you'll get your toy taken away or else you get a timeout, it's using fear. (laughs) And people have this cognitive dissonance of fear. So Natasha is someone that really gets it. And I like talking to parents that get it because sometimes my wound, my insecurities that people just like swap me away just because I'm not a parent. (laughs) But but to me, the, the lessons of marriage and parenthood is very similar is that you can say, I am unhappy because of my spouse or my child when that's victimhood. And it's it's one and the same. It's like, are you going to actually see why your spouse is triggering you? Are you actually going to look at what is inside you as to why your child is making you act? Because it's something in you. So the easiest thing to do is blame a little innocent child for your problems and not taking responsibility 
for the way you're acting, you're reacting, your issues. A lot of parents are dysregulated. They have very low blood sugar. They are not taking care of themselves nutritionally, diet-wise. They're working a job they hate. And so there's aspects of their life that they don't like. And then they take the easy, to me, cowardly way of blaming a little innocent child for their life. And I believe the low blood sugar nutrition aspect is a huge aspect. So I'm thinking we can just start there because Natasha, you post a lot of really good things on your Instagram, which is Empowered Mama Movement about this because, you know, this is one of your biggest passions. And something we want to talk about is that parenting and trust is such a huge thing. And children have these innate instincts of keeping themselves safe or what they want to eat or whether they don't want to eat much one day and they want to eat a lot the other day. They have these inner instincts that often we don't trust. We think we know best and our ego you know, wants to control their eating habits and control them in all these ways. And, you know, some of it is necessary because a parent, you know, needs to keep a child safe and have boundaries with our world nowadays. But with trusting children, it's tricky because if a child is addicted to technology or addicted to chemicals and food, their brain is hijacked. So what do you have to say about this, Natasha? Because this is this is a big thing. It is. It's yeah, I'm such a believer that babies and children are intuitive when we allow them to be, when we allow them the space to be. But like you said, when we from a young age hijack their brains and bodies with these foods, these chemicals, these screens, it's harder for them to be intuitive. Because intuition is our spirit, right? And our bodies and our spirits are connected. They're one and the same. They're, you know, our, we have to feed both. And anything that, that drowns out our body's abilities to do what it needs to do are, is going to have the same effect on our spirit. We have to take care of, you know, mind, body, spirit. And so with all these chemicals that are in foods now and just then the the screen time aspect all of that has the potential to hijack a a child a baby's intuition and that's really 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 sad to me especially the nutrition aspect that one just uh, it's just so hard because from the the from a young age you're setting them up for or an interference between their body and spirit. And, and I'm passionate about this because I, I feel like for the longest time I was not an intuitive person because of how I treated my body. And as parents, you know, we don't want to be controlling like you said, but we're stewards of our children and we can set them up, you know, in that way to have more success and more as, as far more success as far as their understanding, not only through conversation, but through what we feed them, whether that's mentally or <laughs> physically, you know, with food. So yeah, I, I'm, like I said, I'm really passionate about that because I feel like I was so disconnected from my intuition for so long because of how unhealthy I was. And I had a roommate in college who I remember at one point she said, like, she felt 
she felt like she was so or she felt like she was so in touch with her body and so aligned with her body and i just remember thinking i have no idea what that means but i hope i can get to that point as you know at some point in my life and so yeah just setting our our kids up from the beginning is something that i think parents should really take responsibility for and and it's like a radical responsibility at this point in time in our society with how bombarded we are with these fake foods yeah and we have to understand that the companies that are creating these chemical sugary foods want to hijack the child's brain so that you become a customer for life and same with technology and and social media right like all of this was created to hijack our dopamine hits Mm -hmm. because if if a child can go eat a donut and get a dopamine hit and they learn that and that is continuously practiced that is the neural pathway that's being set is oh i can feel good by eating a donut and these are the patterns in childhood that will surface in adulthood because from ages zero to seven, everything we see and hear and learn, all the patterns, all the dynamics we see as children, it is programming our brain, our subconscious mind. And then as an adult, it's something like 80% of everything we, we do and act and say on a daily basis is from our subconscious mind. So if we're living on autopilot, and parenting on autopilot, we're actually living from our childhood. And you can really see it because you probably have become your parent in some ways. You probably react to your child in a similar way that your parent did. Or a lot of times what happens is if you had very hyper-controlling parents, you have now chosen to go on the opposite end of the spectrum and become the most permissive parent. Anything goes. And that's a response to your childhood. So you're still acting acting out from your childhood brain. And um, the, thing, the thing with food and diet and nutrition with children that I like to say is that as a parent, you don't have control what your child eats at school, at birthday parties. You have to let go of that control because you're not there. And if you're there, I mean, you just get to choose however you want to control your child's body. But you have control over what food is in the cupboards and the refrigerator. And there's parents that that buy the junky, junky chemical food and have it in the cupboard, then try to feed the kids, you know, chicken and vegetables and all the things, and the kids say no, and then they go to the cupboards and get the junk food because it's there. And yes. so as a parent, you don't have all control but once your child, once your children are young, you have control over what is in your fridge and what's in your cupboards because you buy the food. Yes, it's you have to set up that foundation from home, and not only through just what you have in the home, but how you talk to them about food or and and why we're fueling our bodies a certain way. And I loved what you said about how we parent and live from autopilot unless we choose otherwise, because the word intentional has been on my mind a lot and just you have to be intentional. If you're not being intentional, you're an autopilot, whether that's food choices you make, parenting choices you make, whatever. And if we wanna change certain patterns or just want a higher way for our motherhood and for our kids, we have to be intentional. 
And yeah, it's, but yeah, laying that foundation at home and then trying to find that balance between, okay, this is the foundation. These are the principles I've taught, but you still have your agency, you know, when you're at school or at a birthday party or whatever. It's, it's a hard balance to find and um, it changes as they go through different ages. But I think it's important and one that parents need to be intentional about. Yeah, and something that I'm thinking of in this moment is I have also seen holistic-minded parents start using the topic of food in such a eating disorder way and I didn't I was vegan for 10 years and now I now look back and see that I was restrictive eating um, I wasn't eating enough it was I was I called myself vegan but I really now think it was an eating disorder because I was using food as a means of control so I would really urge holistic minded parents that have a lot of beliefs about food to really look at how they could be parenting in the in in regards to food from fear because fear mongering your child that chose to eat a cupcake at a birthday party is also programming them to demonize food which is creating the neural pathway to create huge emotional baggage with food definitely that's one that i was kind of like paralyzed about for a while as far as how to approach the food conversation. My toddler's three, so it was, you know, it's been fairly recent that we've had to start talking about these things, but I prayed about it that I would know how I could do it without creating a complex. And what I've come up with that works for me is just talking about there's foods that God made and they work well with our bodies because God also made our bodies. And then there's foods that like are man-made in a factory. And sometimes those aren't terrible, but they don't work as well with our bodies. So we just need to be mindful of that. So I'm with you though, as far as like the control aspect, you in your past, you've used food as a way to feel like in control. And I feel like I felt that too. And so I just, like you said, I don't want to create those things for my kids. And yeah, so you... Yeah, having those conversations in a way that's not creating complex or fear or whatever. Yeah, it, it, you really have to have self-awareness of mm-hmm. fear because ultimately fear and control are tied to each other because you want to control your child's food sometimes from a fear, but it's always about reevaluating that and and knowing your why. Like you are trying to educate your sons about food to arm them for their the rest of their life. So they have that foundation of knowing the pillars of nutrition. And not just nutrition, sleep, hydration, exercise. Like your your kids, I like your workout videos online because your kids get to see you working out. And it's about exposing them. Yeah, definitely. I love that. They mimic what we do, whether we preach it or not, you know, or or what we say verbally is only the tip of the iceberg. But then what they see us do, whether even if that's even if there's moms that are restricting foods and have like a fear about it without saying it, our kids pick up on that. They're so they're so smart. (laughs) They're too smart sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, they they pick up on everything because a conversation I just had with my girlfriend is 
when you're with your spouse and say your spouse is not giving you enough eye contact and it starts making you on edge, your brain, just because they're not looking at you and giving you eye contact, your brain starts picking up on these cues and your brain starts being like, um, is something going on? Like he's ignoring me. Is our, is our connection, um, what's going on with our connection right now? And we read these nonverbal cues and people are like, oh, I'm an empath. No, like it's just our human nature to read nonverbal cues. Absolutely. Kids are really good at it. (laughs) Exactly. And to think you can fool a child or a baby. So when we are feeling the lack of eye contact from our husband and our nervous system starts getting on edge of like, oh, what's going on? Like, I feel it very intensely, very um, simply from his lack of eye contact. Babies have that. Babies know when a mom is frazzled and frustrated because a mom isn't ooing and eyeing, making eye contact with the baby. The mom is like more, you know, um, stiff with her energy and she's probably not looking at the baby. and. And babies are are human. They're not objects. And so babies have the same skills we have. They read mom's energy based on these nonverbal cues. And then they, a lot of times, can start getting cranky because their nervous system is like, my connection is in danger right now. My mom's not looking at me right now. And that's how babies reflect moms and moms reflect babies. It's mirrors and same with older children, right? It's a whole household where everyone is mirroring each other and with nervous systems. Yes, it's so fascinating. And, And too, like we have these abilities as adults, but I would argue that babies and children have them way stronger than we do because theirs are centered around survival. You know, if I'm not connected to my mom, there's a survival aspect to that. So yeah, they are, man, the way babies and children pick up on these nonverbal cues that we don't even recognize is truly (laughs) incredible. And like you said, the mirror thing, the nervous system, all of it, it's just one big emotional mirror in a household. Yeah. And I just wish people gave babies and kids more credit because there's our, our societal view of kids is oh, they don't know much, you know, they're kind of stupid. Like I can hide things from them. But like you said, the nonverbal cues from parents, their survival is at stake. So there's more at stake with them. So they, I would argue that they probably feel it even more intensely. Absolutely. And it's so, almost feels like, it feels like a threat to them. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, with my husband, it feels like a threat to my connection. Like, yeah. you know, what's, what's, what's up? And and I start getting dysregulated. And so now I just say it to him like, hey, I can tell you're not making eye contact with, con- eye contact with me and it's making me, but I'm, I'm very aware now. But I say that all just because I wish parents could really recognize that if they come home from work and they're so frazzled or you just received really horrible news and your energy changes, like your child knows something is up. Like Definitely. give them more credit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from a young age, just intuitively, I have talked to my boys about these things. Like, hey, mom's feeling this. Even when the, even when I was pregnant, like I wanted them to know, like, it's been a stressful day at work or whatever. 
here's what's going on. You're safe, you know? And I just, yeah, give them more credit and have these conversations with them, obviously in an age appropriate way, but recognize that they, they do know more and are capable of more than we give them credit often as a society. They're not these helpless little beings that have no idea what's going on. And so treat them that way, like treat them accordingly because they're so wise and having these conversations, they know. Like with my one-year-old, you know, I, I can say to him, hey, even from the time he was like nine months, just talk to him in a normal voice, like go into the toy room, your brother's in there, he's waiting for you. And he'll just go and people are always like, he understood you and I'm, I'm like, yeah, because I've been talking to the, him like this as a capable human being from the time he was in my belly um, because I I don't know. And both of my boys, I've, I've done that and didn't realize it was weird or abnormal until people were like, wait, he understood you? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're amazing and they're capable of so much. They're aware. They're so aware. Yeah, it just sounds like you, you view your children not less than like they are your equal if not if not better because they (laughs) yeah like they to me children are the only ones on this planet that unconditionally love and they unconditionally forgive like no matter what a parent does on a daily basis like a child shows up that next day without any grudges like do we do that yeah, right? they're incredible. And yeah, there's a reason in the Bible it says to be like children, you know, they're forgiving, they're innocent, they laugh all the time, they have so much joy. Everything about them is greater than us as, as adults because they're just, yeah, they're closer to God in every way. And I think, you know, we think our job is to teach them, which it is, but they teach us as cliche as that sounds, they really do. There's so much more than just surface level lessons that children teach us. They're just so wise. Yeah. So I want to, I want to know like on a daily basis, what's something that you would be in awe of that's just so mundane and simple, but like it moves you because you're aware and in tune. I would say, I think it's different for each child but my older son how in tune he is with me like i'll be well like we talked about they're in tune with like the nonverbal cues that we give but you know i'll just the other day i was thinking like man he's growing up so fast he's not gonna need me soon and he comes into the room mommy i love you i missed you (laughs) he just knew you know and so that's one of the things i'm in awe of daily i'm in awe of how intelligent they are and how quickly they can pick things up um and yeah just i don't know i'm in constant awe of children watching their little fingers move to pick up a pencil like everything which i think is one of the gifts of infertility well you know my fertility issues i i hate infertility but that's just an easy term to just say yeah for how long it took me to have children is that's one thing i'm so grateful for is just everything even I'm three and a half years into parenting, just everything's incredible to me to watch. I'm in awe of them constantly. Yeah, and it's a way of life, which is why I started the podcast with conscious parenting is not about compliance. It's a way of life, of how you look at your daily life, how you look at your sons, that you are more in awe of them than a victim to them. And you have your moments of being a victim to them because you're a human. 
you're you're such a human and I want to I want to have you say like a few examples of when you catch yourself being triggered or being a victim to them because that's going to happen like you're a human it's not about never being triggered or being perfect it's just about being aware of when it happens yeah definitely I definitely have my moments several times throughout the day and I think anyone who's a conscious parent or whatever does even though we may only see them as like this perfectly patient parent all the time but yeah one of my I guess like a victimhood thing I've caught myself in is so prior to having kids you know you can have a schedule like I'm going to do this and this and this and this today and on my days where I'm just frazzled already and then I didn't get say two of those things done or whatever I feel like Sometimes my mind will go to like, I'm a victim to, not that these exact words come to mind, but the way I react or respond is like, I'm a victim to my children because I didn't get the things done I wanted to, or my timeline wasn't what I wanted it to be. I think that's an easy one to fall into. Yeah, they're to Uh, blame and you blame them. Yeah. Yeah. And how often, like if we just listen to our conversations with our husband or other people, like, well, my kid didn't do this or did this today. So anytime you're blaming your child for something, even if it's something like lighthearted, oh, like we're late because of my kid, which, you know, sometimes happens, like take a look at that. Is is that a victimhood mentality? Like, are you a victim to your child? Are you acting like a victim to your child in those moments when you're shifting blame to them? that's a sign that of, of victimhood in, in parenthood. And, 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 and constant complaining. Like mm-hmm. constant complaining in parenthood is like the number one sign of victimhood. And it's understandable because we are challenged and we feel like we're suffering. But the parent is complaining intensely because their inner child wants to be seen in their struggle. Yeah. So with, with conscious parenting, it's kind of like the battle of the adult inner child and the child in front of them and the parent is like you need to listen to me to fulfill my emotional need of being heard Mm -hmm. and then if the child gets their way the parent's inner child feels like it wasn't listened to and it's not being respected and so a lot of people have kids trying to fulfill all these emotional needs of being seen and being heard and being appreciated because that's what the ego does. It's like, you're here to fulfill me and to fulfill my emotional needs, but that's not the case at all. No, not at all. And there's, it's, I I saw something that said something along the lines of like, yes, you have an inner child, but you also have an outer adult. And when you're a mom, that needs to take precedent. Like, yeah, tend to your inner child because there's a lot of lessons there. And like be respectful almost of that, but also recognize that you're an adult, you have an outer adult (laughs) and and, um, you're not, I feel like sometimes the inner child narrative, I guess, or lessons can sometimes put you in victimhood. You know, I'm this way because I'm feeling unheard because of my childhood or whatever, there's a balance that you have to find just like with everything. So those conversations are important as far as inner child, but you have an outer adult who's responsible for 
these children and for like a higher, finding a higher way, digging yourself out of these patterns or whatever that you find yourself in. So, uh, yeah. and it, sorry, go ahead. I would say that the outer adult is awareness. So yes. the inner child, if you're, if you're parenting on autopilot, you, your inner child the shadow of the inner, inner child of like, I need to be heard. I need to be appreciated. No one appreciates me. You parent in autopilot from that inner child. That's what's happening. But once you realize that your outer adult of what you're saying to me, that's awareness and that's mm -hmm. consciousness and being present and intentional. Yes. Back to that word intentional again. It's, it's the awareness and it's, it's sad to me how many people that you see constantly complaining, like we were talking about, about parenthood, whether that's through social media or whatever. And, and so oftentimes, like sometimes I feel like I'm being inauthentic if I'm on social media and I say, you know, only positive things about being a mother. But truly that's for the most part how I feel for one. But for two, I don't think we need to normalize People are always like, normalize this, normalize that. I don't think we need to normalize complaining about our children or like sometimes we want to feel heard when we complain and we want other people to know. We want to know that it's normal to feel a certain way, which again, it's a balance. I think sometimes that has its place, but I don't know. I, I don't really align with like, oh, let's normalize this poor behavior on my part just in, in the sake of being, or in the name of being authentic, if that makes sense, because everyone has these ups and downs and we all know that, and it's up to you to recognize that, but we don't need to constantly, constantly being complaining and normalizing this complaining about our children. It's just like a downward spiral, I feel like. I don't know if anything I said just makes sense. <laughs> no, I love that you brought it up because it also brings up, you know, all the, all the movements of normalize this, normalize that. It's just a response to something that has felt out of balance like people thinking oh parenthood is just all sunshine and roses and rainbows and then they're in it and they're like this is no one told me it was this hard and so they're like normalize how hard it is and so it's like a response to something they felt was like injustice kind of yeah, and it's like shifting the blame like no one told me yeah it's just kind of a fascinating thing to be parenting in the age of social media for yeah. better first there's a lot of great things but yeah, something that I see on Instagram a lot is something like, mama, you're doing so great. You're doing so good or whatever. And obviously give yourself credit for the things you're doing and have compassion for yourself. But also <laughs> you have to know when you're not doing your best and you have to hold yourself accountable to um, if you are yelling at your child in a way that makes you feel guilt, that guilt is there for a reason. That yeah. guilt is your barometer on that is not who I want to be. I am not proud of who I am being. And so this in this in this era of mama, you're doing so good. Like, no, only you can actually assess whether you are doing so good or not. And it's very, very toxic to just say, oh, I'm just doing the best I can, just do the best I can, because then you are then never going to grow, never going to change. And what type yeah. of life is that going to lead? Right. Like, don't normalize subpar parenting because you are 
quote unquote, doing your best? Like, are you though? Only you can say that. And I love the topic of guilt, like when any, anyone talks about mom shaming or guilt, because I think there's such important lessons in that. Like, guilt is two conflicting values for you, and you're you're putting weight on one or the other. So, for example, since we already talked about nutrition, like you feel guilty because you see a mom feeding her kids better than you are. Well, your two values are your time or your sanity or, you know, and then your other value is wanting to give your kids the best. And it's that the one that you're giving lesser time and energy to that might be like a little bit of a higher calling, like something calling to you, like, hey, you can do a little better in this area. And so, yeah, that's just such a, I feel like another victimhood mentality is like, oh, I feel guilted you know, or mom shamed or whatever, you make moms feel guilty. Like no one makes you feel anything. You're feeling those things because your intuition's calling you to do something a little bit more or in a different way or whatever that is. Yeah. And if we have a fight with our husband and we're guilty about something we said, it's because we're not proud of who we were in that moment. And just like with a child, if you feel guilty with how you acted with them, that's not the parent you want to be. And that guilt is calling you to a higher ground. And a post that you that you had on social media, and I think it was created from our conversation, I think. Yes, in the pursuit of opening the dialogue about mental about the topic of mental health, mental health has become an excuse to not do a lot of the hard stuff and which is the growth stuff of motherhood. Anything that is hard is growth. And yeah, the the conversation or the post came from conversation you and I had had and then you made a or then I, there was a post about breastfeeding or something anyway and I commented just yeah, because it was about breastfeeding and mental health. It wasn't good for my mental health and you know, at what point does your mental health become a crutch? to the things you are not doing for your child. And then when I posted that, of course, there was a lot of good feedback, but it was so fascinating to see like all of the people that are, were in such victimhood to not only motherhood, but to their mental health or the belief that it was, their mental health was a state that could not be changed or, you know, like my doctor or my medication or my antidepressants or whatever yeah, it was just fascinating to see just how many people were not even willing to be open to that conversation of, hey, like, take a look inward and notice if these things are out of balance for you. Yeah. And obviously talking about mental health has come so far in 50 years. And that's so important. But it's going off balance now and that's what we're speaking to yes is it's it talking about mental health has needed to happen but now it's getting so off balance that people are choosing to have children and then opting for the easiest thing for them the most convenient thing for them not what is best for the child and I personally think that is a problem because why are you having children 
if you are trying to do what is the most convenient thing for you because what's most convenient for you is most likely never going to be the best thing for your child. It's a huge, yeah, it's a huge problem because we have so much convenience at our fingertips all the time. Like when in history could people put all their kids in front of a screen and just do whatever or have food at the press of a button? You know, there's so many things that come that we can choose the convenience route, but that doesn't mean we should. (laughs) And it's hard. It's a balance because I do think that the conversation of our lack of a village as mothers is very valid, very valid. But you, again, have to turn inward. Only you can assess that and decide that. If, like, only you can assess and decide if you are truly doing your best and where you can improve. And it's a hard thing to navigate. But yeah, it's just the mental health conversation and enabling and using it as an excuse is just kind of gotten out of hand. Yeah, because it's also like all about medication, which if if you believe in the medication of mental health, I, I really urge you to look into Dr. Kelly Brogan because she like smashes that to smither- smithereens. Um, right. But the, the mental health conversation like truly obviously needs to be rooted in, are you nourishing your body? Mineral stores in the brain, in the body, are huge for mental health. And that's where the conversation needs to get rounded out, not just about breast, I'm not gonna breastfeed my child and I'm gonna be on a medication. No, like, are you rooted in nature? Are you putting your skin in the sun every day? Are you nourishing your body with God-made food? Are you, in a horrible, abusive relationship that is very unhealthy and you're choosing to be there. There's so much of the conversation beyond just, you know, don't breastfeed for mental health. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because there's such a disconnect. I mean, I remember years ago when I first started on like my health journey and learning how much food impacts our mood and thinking like, but does it really? (laughs) And it's funny because for most people, that's a huge disconnect. So to say that all, a lot of these things are rooted in nourishment or lack thereof, sunshine, lack thereof, people just can't believe it. They're like, no, I have an antidepressant deficiency (laughs) or I have, you know, it's just, it's fascinating. Some people just aren't ready for that conversation, but I do feel like there's a movement toward that, which is wonderful. Um, But yeah, it's really fascinating to see. Yeah, agreed. Um, Let's get into a few triggers in parenthood because we talked that we want to have examples because I think in theory, some people might get it, but until they hear real life examples, then they can see it in their real life and be like, oh, oh, I'm living this moment right now. I'm being a victim right now. I'm blaming my child right now when I have an opportunity to look at what's inside me or have an opportunity to take responsibility for something maybe I did. Sure. So I'll list three and then we can kind of go into them that I had written down. Um, so when my kids are super needy, it feels like I, I sometimes when I'm triggered, it goes back to like not feeling enough. Like here I am cooking 
cleaning while holding a baby and then the toddler's asking for something and I didn't get the right whatever it was that he wanted, you know, and so sometimes my triggered mind goes to back goes back to you're not enough, you're not doing enough, you're doing all these things, but it's not enough. So that's one of them. Um, and then control or a lack thereof. If my and it if my son does something that leaves me feeling out of control, like lately he's been wanting to just run down the street or lock the doors and I'm like feel out of control because it's something that's not easily fixed or I have to chase him down the street or go find something to <laughs> unlock the door before I can get to where I need to be with him you know, outside of the safety issues, the control thing. So that's another one. Just feel when I feel truly out of control, I notice that really triggers me to want to yell or to just respond poorly in a way that I normally wouldn't. And then the other one is boundary setting. Like if that's one that I've always had a hard time with and it bothers me that I have always had a hard time with boundary setting. So if I don't tell them no to something like I maybe should have before, which I you know, I think sometimes we say no just for the sake of saying no. Then when you really dig, you're like, I guess that's not a problem. But maybe having like a smoothie without a lid because they just wanted to drink one like you. And you're like, I should probably put a lid. And then they spill. And you're like beating yourself up because you're like, I didn't have this boundary that I knew I should have had from the beginning because that's, um, yeah. Yeah. What about, yeah. What about, um, your children being an extension of your ego. Like if my child is tantruming at church or in front of people, parents, we're all narcissists. Like at the end of the day, our ego is so narcissist and we think everything is about us. Everything is a reflection of us. And, you know, there is to an extent, but your child is also their own being and having a tantrum at church can be something they're going through. And it might not have anything to do with you, but as a parent, you make it, everyone's judging me. Oh my gosh, everyone's judging my child. I'm such a bad parent. People are judging how I'm parenting. They think I have no control over my child. Yeah. I I can't think of like a specific example with that, but that's definitely a common theme. I feel like for every parent, but well, I guess like my mother-in-law was here recently and there were things that I think maybe she would have put a stop to or would have handled differently but then knowing my child and just like knowing how I needed to handle it but then sometimes the ego is like no do it this way for her approval and you know she's very much aligned with a lot that I uh, that a, a lot of things I do in the way I parent or the other day I don't force my kids to say sorry because I want them to it to come from a place of empathy the other day my son threw something and it hit his cousin and you know we were with a bunch of people and in my mind I was like I think everyone's expecting me to force him to say sorry and the ego wanted to be like hey like you should apologize you should say sorry that was wrong and and but I knew that that's not a not something that I align with or do regularly and so I didn't and the next day we had a conversation about, well, we had a conversation about what happened that day, but the next day- With your son? With my son. The next day we were talking about it a little bit more. And I said, do you want to send a video to Remy, his cousin? And and so he said, hi, how's your nose? And then he said, I'm sorry that happened on his own because I knew that that's how 
He needs to be parented for his low personality mine. I don't know if everyone aligns with that, but it works for us and it's what we've always done. Um, and so I knew we needed to do that again, even though I didn't want to initially. Okay. I want you to kind of explain the I'm sorry thing, because my perspective on it, I'm sure it's maybe the same as yours, but maybe not, is if you tell a child, anyone can do whatever they want with their own kids, but you know when something doesn't align with you, when you're really in tune with yourself, um, telling a child to say I'm sorry when they don't feel it, in my opinion, is teaching them how to lie. Yeah, and I... Yeah, teaching them to lie or even to people, please, which is a form of lying in, in many ways. And maybe, you know, we talk about our triggers, sometimes it's being a bad thing, but that's maybe somewhat of a trigger to me in a good way of me growing up as a people pleaser. And I don't want that. I don't want my sons to be that way. And so, yeah, just to not force him to apologize for what it looks like on the outside. I want him to apologize for recognizing that he did something wrong and wanting to correct it or make amends, which I think is what God would want too and wants uh, for us as adults. And so that's one of the things I just try to think about is like, how would God want this for an adult or for my child? So, and it's worked really well. He's so good at saying sorry, so good. And sometimes he'll asked me like one of my favorite videos of him he's like mom should i go outside and apologize dad <laughs> and i'm like well how does it feel do you do you feel like you need to apologize and he's like yeah and then he just like books it out the door and i happened to be recording because i was recording him reading a book and then he just looked up at me and asked that and so yeah i just i feel like it taught the principle better i don't want my kids to do things out of fear or out of ego or whatever i want them to do it because they understand the principle behind it and just and this, like so just to do the socially acceptable thing is is compliance is people pleasing it's like being a robot and when mm -hmm. you think i i literally just always reflect in my own marriage how would i want it to be and my husband has apologized and not meant it before and he apologizes often to just have no conflict. He wants to move on. Mm -hmm. And when he apologizes and doesn't mean it, that's hurtful. Mm -hmm. I, you're being fake. You're not being yeah. authentic. And and that's a whole other thing is that you're teaching a child to be inauthentic. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, just a value to me is for them to be genuine and authentic to themselves and just yeah, just we teach them to be honest. You know, we want them to be honest, but then sometimes we undermine that by teaching them to be inauthentic or to say sorry when they don't mean it, forcing apologize, forcing apologies, um, even sometimes forcing them to say, like, will you please do that for me? Or will you please get that for me? Because I don't always say that to my husband or like, hey, will you grab or hey, grab me that bowl. You know, or if my, but if my, if a kid says, grab me that bowl, we're like, say please, or what's the magic word, or what's a better way to ask that? You know, sometimes in casual conversations, we're not always really formal with that. So it's, it's just something that I think, yeah, is kind of a double standard for kids. 
there's there's so much of that. Like I could literally have a conversation just on double standards. Yeah, it's hard <laughs> to navigate it all, but it's just again, ultimately just like I don't know, intuitively with what feels right to you and then what fits with your child's personality because and that's not going to be the same from child to child. I'm learning already and my little one's only one. So that's another thing to take into account is just each child's different. And intuitively, if you can tune in, you'll know with each child, like the answer's there. And that's God's child too. He wants the best for them as well. And he knows how to parent them better than we do. <laughs> yeah, I think our ego, our mind really gets wrapped in on, I need my child to be this way and I need my child to act this way and become this type of adult. An adult, an adult that lives their life like this and believes like that. And all of that is control. And at the end of the day, an extension of our own ego being like, you have to reflect well on me because you're an extension of me. But really, your child is their own human and it's God's child. Mm -hmm. They're already prepackaged with these little personalities that last their entire lives. So if you think you're going to control and change that, you're wrong. <laughs> you're in for a lifetime of disappointment or whatever. All you have to do is nurture what they already have and who they already are and just let them be these little souls that they came into the world already being. Yeah, There's trusting. Yes, yeah. trusting. Yeah, it's such a walk. It's a walking the line of knowing when you are their steward when you are setting themselves up, those zero to seven years of you are programming their subconscious beliefs right now. That's that's a huge task and that could probably feel so heavy, but also knowing that you don't have ultimate control over their destiny and a belief in God to me is what can allow you to really surrender and surrender your control. Yes, I love the word steward for so many things. like. Am I good being a good steward of my body? Am I being a good steward of my children? Like maybe sometimes parent comes with the connotation of control or whatever. But if you take a step back and, and see yourself as a steward or ask yourself at the end of the day, like how well you did as a steward to your children, that kind of gives it like a different light, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and are you the adult you want your child to be? Are you living... The life are you in the value system that you want your child to be i think is to me is the ultimate reflection question yes absolutely you could write down your the top three things you want your child to be and then evaluate am i these things do i display these things through my actions because it doesn't matter what you say <laughs> like going back to the beginning conversation it's what they're watching and seeing so that's a good way to kind of check in with yourself. Yeah. Thank you so much, Natasha. This was so fun. Thank you. <laughs> so fun. Let's do it again. I know, please. <laughs>